Hi guys, this is Milo from Big Brother Seeds and you're listening to Grow Bud Yourself. Smoke free weed, go board yourself, you need to go plant a seed, go board yourself, make your knowledge increase, go board yourself, go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right, welcome to episode number 23 of Grow Bud Yourself. We've got a lot in store for you today. We talk terps, we've got a news update. Uh, our guests are the amazing ladies from Hembra Genetics uh, Seed Bank. Uh, we talk about uh, tips for sustainable growing. Uh, that'll save you money, plus grow Q&A, as always, in our Strain of the Fortnite. So stick around for episode number 23, brought to you by Excelsior Extracts. All right, welcome back. And it is episode number 23, the Michael Jordan episode, right, Mike? That it is, yes. <laughs> I want to be like Mike. Yeah, you know, a few episodes back, I think we talked a little about The Last Dance, and I, uh, you know, said positive things about Michael Jordan. I don't have negative things to say, I just want to say, as a Knicks fan who grew up in the 90s and just worshipped that team, you know, it's taken years, but I'm coming around on how great he was. It's just, he just... <laughs> he heard us. It, it was the, the inevitability of it you know the certainty that he was going to destroy your dreams as a Knicks fan every year that was hard to get over but yeah I'm getting he, over it he loved to rain points down on Madison Square Garden for sure oh my goodness yeah <laughs> so uh thank you as always to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the tune the strong tune and uh yeah we're here I hope everybody enjoyed that little sample of uh, the song Terpenes by uh Winstrong last week Yes, absolutely. Good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, I think we've got a news update, too. Yeah, we do. We have a, I mean, we have a great show today, but there's a few things in the news that we just wanted to, to talk about first. And one of them involves a, a company really digging into the science of terpenes. Yeah, this was interesting. They basically tested, uh, you know, the terpenes after curing and, uh, you know, before curing for the purpose of, uh, I guess, for live resin and, and, and vape pens and that sort of thing. Uh, and it's interesting how some of the terpenes uh, had a higher expression, lower expression, um, just based on a one week of drying and curing. Yeah, and, uh, you know, because live resin is such a, uh, a popular variety for concentrates, especially in California, they kind of um, did a deep dive of what yeah. you can expect, and uh, they broke it down here. And what, what yeah. do you make of this? Well, the first interesting thing is that they're they're saying that live resin uh, captures a 22% share of California's vape market, mm. uh, which is certainly a higher number than I would have guessed. Um, also, you know, there's some actual dramatic results here where like beta mercine content decreased by 55%, um, whereas, you know, germacrine and humulene increased over 100%. So... Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, this is a report from Gondrepreneur uh, that we're reading. And, I mean, I think the most interesting part to me is, uh, you know, there's really no reason to be making concentrates out of dried and cured product. I mean, drying and curing is really something you do uh, specifically for craft flour purposes, uh, something you're going to grind up and smoke in a joint or a bowl, uh, something like that. And I think when it comes to uh, any kind of concentrates, really, you want to use fresh material, either fresh frozen or something along those lines. And so well, for the, the people who may not know, what, what is the benefit there, generally speaking? Basically, it, you keep the, uh, the terpenes, uh, the terpene profile, the, basically it's the highest expression of most of the, you know, the major terpenes there. Um, and people prefer that, obviously, based on this study as well. Um, people prefer their concentrates uh, made from uh, not dried and cured material, but fresh frozen material. Um, and so that's pretty significant. And I think, like I said, drying and curing is not something you need to do if you're going to make concentrates out of your flour. It's really something you do 
um, just for flour consumption alone. And again, even that isn't always necessary. We'll certainly have our friends from uh, from CryoCure on to talk about freeze drying and how that can uh, can actually, you know, not only obviously sh- cut down the amount of time uh, spent drying and curing, uh, but actually just remove it all together for the most part. You know, it's a 24 hours in a freeze-drying machine and your product's ready to consume. Um, so there's a lot of interesting developments happening, and I'd love to see the science, um, you know, sort of debunking some of these uh, ingrained uh, habits and myths and things that we've we've been working with uh, and haven't really questioned for decades. Yeah, and as cannabis becomes illegal across the country, you're just going to see more and more of these advances, uh, both in the production of things like concentrates, but also in our understanding of you know what is happening there and why it's better. Yeah, and uh, and again, it's interesting also because some some of the terpenes you know increased after drying and curing as well. So. Um, there's a lot to take in here. I think people should check it out. I mean, I, I learned a whole bunch of new terpene names <laughs> just from reading it. You know, I know all the major ones, but there's so many, uh, at this point it's hard to keep up. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll send the link out for people so they could take a look at that. Yeah, for um, sure. Let's do that. Yeah. But speaking of, uh, cannabis legalization, cannabis is on the ballot in a number of states in the upcoming election. So, you know, if you maybe don't want to focus on uh, the the top of the ballot uh, so much because it's a little, uh, you know, anxiety-inducing, nerve-wracking, um, look for cannabis on your ballot. So let, let's maybe just go over quickly where uh, cannabis is on the ballot and what those voters can pass this November. That's perfect. Let's do it. We have two uh, states that can pass a medical cannabis law and four that can pass full out uh, recreational laws, which is interesting that the uh, le- the adult use legalization uh, outnumbers medical. But yeah, it seems uh, like med- most states are medical at this point. <laughs> yeah, we're running out of states <laughs> exactly. But medical is on the ballot in uh, Mississippi, which actually has two competing bills for uh, medical cannabis, and then also in South Dakota. And uh, in South Dakota, they would allow uh, personal grow for registered patients. And then, on the rec side of things, uh, South Dakota also has a a recreational law, and that would establish um, retail sales and also some home grow. And uh, Arizona could pass recreational with retail sales and uh, home grow as well. And uh, you might remember Arizona attempted to pass um, adult-use cannabis in 2016, but failed. So another shot here. And speaking of another shot, New Jersey, of course, is on the ballot. Uh, lawmakers there were unable to get a, uh, a legalization bill through on their own, so it goes to the voters now, and they can establish uh, retail sales in that state. So we're excited for that. Yeah, and for then, sure. And the yeah. governor and other politicians are excited too, so that that should go right through. It's always helpful, yeah, when the governor is behind it. And uh, just one more. Montana has two bills uh, the first would establish retail sales taxed at 20% and allow home grow up to four plants. And the second one would amend the state constitution and set the legal consumption age for cannabis as uh, the same as it does for alcohol. So you got South Dakota, Arizona, New Jersey, and Montana. Excellent. And people just get out there and vote. You know, it's important people, if you don't you know, think it's important, then look around at you know, what's happened uh, you know, with cannabis recently, um, even just today, the Colorado governor uh, announced that he's expunging the records of thousands of uh, people without them even having to apply. And all of that is the result of of electing a cannabis friendly governor. And, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it takes a while and sometimes there's baby steps, but we're all we're going we're heading in the right direction. So get out there and vote. Uh, cannabis is not a partisan issue we could talk about a lot of different partisan issues and uh but we won't so just get out there vote uh vote for cannabis vote for sanity uh and then go home and uh smoke a bowl or a joint and celebrate the fact that you know you you're participating in uh our democracy yeah celebrate or medicate depending on how it goes for you right um Yeah, man, for sure. It's it's pretty exciting. There's a lot of uh, opportunity. We could get four new uh, recreational states this year. Yes, indeed. And I think that would go a long way. I think if Jersey goes, 
you're going to have New York and Connecticut and, and, and the, the, uh, you know, at that point, <laughs> the genie's out of the bottle. So, uh, very exciting, very good, great news. And, uh, we have some international cannabis news as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our neighbors to the South, um, you know, Mexico uh, just been ravaged by drugs in that country. Um, they're very close to passing a medical cannabis law, but, but the big news right now is that um, the government is announcing, or the Senate majority leader at least, is announcing that he expects recreational cannabis to pass this year by, by December. Wow. Great news, uh, definitely, for our friends in Mexico. Uh, I know there's cannabis plants growing outside of Parliament, and some of the politicians have been posing with the plants, and it's very interesting. So uh, shout out to our friends uh, all throughout uh, Mexico on that uh, great news, and hopefully that'll come to fruition. Yeah, and that can only help them, you know, hopefully, with Absolutely. What, what's been going on there, you know. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right. Well, that's that's a little bit of a look at what's going on in the world of weed. Um, but we have a, a really excellent interview coming up. Yeah, totally. We've got the uh, the ladies of Hembra Genetics, Hembra um, Seed Bank. So we're going to be talking to them about uh, their uh, seeds and as well as, you know, some cultivation stuff and uh, origin stories and all kinds of stuff. So stick around. We'll be back with Hembra Genetics. Hey, you guys, this episode is brought to you by Excelsior Extracts and their incredible THC-infused relief rub. Uh, and now this stuff really works. And uh, I know it works because it's made by our friend Outcast, and she needs very, very strong topicals. Uh, so the relief rub is the strongest topical I've ever tried. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, all one word. Uh, DM them for info on the relief rub if you're interested and uh, give them a follow. Uh, they're great people, and they grow great cannabis and make great products. So thank you to Excelsior Extracts. Now back to the show. All right, we are back, and we are so privileged to have the lovely uh, and amazing Women of Hembra Genetics. We have Helene and Caitlin from Hembra Genetics Collection. Welcome. Hello. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having us. Mm -hmm. Thank you, too. Um, now, uh, let's talk a little bit about the past and how you guys got involved uh, with cannabis, even before it being as a business, but just on a personal level. And we can start with Helene, and you can just um, tell us about your early experiences with cannabis. Yeah, sure. Um I first got involved when I uh, moved up to Humboldt County um, after high school and went to school at Humboldt State University. And obviously that was, that's like the, at least at the time was kind of the Mecca of the cannabis community in California. Um, so yeah, going to school up there and just kind of learning it organically and then starting to grow while I was living up there. And I guess from there on, graduating into other parts of the industry and moving on from there. But I think just being immersed in that culture was really kind of what started giving me the appreciation for it and being like hands-on with the plant. And Caitlin? Uh, I started in, uh, well, I was born and raised in New York, so there was no growing for me for a really long time. Uh, so I started off um, actually I went to school for massage and then I went to school for physician's assistant. And when they went, when you go for a physician's assistant, they start you off as a biology major. So I spent a lot of time <clears throat> as a, in microbiology. And then my friends were going to a, uh, Novi Michigan, uh, max yield show and they had a hydroponic shop. So I got them to uh, take me along as like a a booth babe kind of at the time. And I instantly fell in love with the entire uh, community. And uh, I was offered a job with a nutrient line at that point, uh, because I had so much background knowledge in science. And it just kind of grew from there. And eventually, like, I, I, honestly, I have to say, probably about six months later, I met Helene. 
And so you guys met in the hydro industry. Helene, were you also involved in the uh, hydroponic uh, equipment sales? Um, I yeah, no, definitely. I was I worked with Smart Pots for um, good five plus years or so. Before that, I was with Mad Farmer. Before that, I was working in hydro stores. I guess I went backwards with that, but yeah, <laughs> um, I would say um, definitely Smart Pots was like the majority of my um, experience as a rep in the hydro industry. And really kind of getting to know everybody um, back in kind of like what I consider to be like the the heyday of the hydro scene, um, like the glory days, the good old days, you know, it was just really kind of felt like family and still really good friends with a lot of the reps from that time. And it really became kind of like, it was like this community that I felt like some of the friends in that industry were closer friends than even just in my inner circle at home, I guess, just kind of being on the road so much and really getting a chance to know people that were also living that kind of lifestyle and like kind of constantly on the go. And um, I mean, it's it's having fun along the way too. lots of expos, lots of parties, lots of um, just great people all around. But yeah, definitely got, I would say, uh, after kind of having that hands-on with growing back in the day up in NorCal, um, that was kind of what transitioned into the hydro scene for me, I guess, as far as getting more into like a, I guess, legitimate side of things, so to speak. Um, and also being able to still be involved in the cannabis community. So it's kind of like a fusion. Of- so how did the decision uh, come to start uh, Hembra Genetics Collection? And, and what is sort of the the philosophy behind uh, Hembra? Um, Well, I guess Hembra officially as a company has been around for, I guess, about a couple of years now. But before that, how it came to be before that even was um, I was one day hanging out with my friend Dusty from High Country Genetics. um, And we went over to um Aaron's house from DNA Genetics and we were going to go on helicopter rides around the Malibu coastline which was <laughs> awesome I was super stoked um anyways later that day or night we went out to dinner with uh Aaron and Dusty and Dave from Crockett Family Farms was there and I was sitting next to him at dinner and we started chatting and um he basically well him and I got into a conversation and I offered to take his seeds around to dispensaries when I was traveling around California back in the day when that was kind of the way to do things um and so that was like how I first started getting into the seed side of things and then from there started picking up a few more lines along the way DNA and Humboldt Canarado yeah a few and so then doing that for a while kind of like loosely on the side while I was doing smart pots at the same time kind of started picking up and like that was kind of like the side hustle and then the side hustle kind of like took over and became more of like the main hustle. And so then it was when uh, Caitlin came in and joined me and we decided to kind of make it like an official thing and really dive into it and, you know, make it into a company and pour our energy into it. That's awesome. And, you know, from what I notice, it's very, um, as you guys say, it's thoughtfully curated. You really, um, making particular decisions about which seed banks um, you uh, you know you have in your roster and which ones you don't. Um, tell me a little bit about like the decision making of how you how you choose you know whose genetics um, you guys offer. Yeah, I mean, with that, we we really try to have a nice um, balance of well known breeders and also kind of up and coming people that are getting their start and we want to help promote and get their brands out there. Um, So kind of looking at like, you know, what is already in demand and what is popular, but also looking at um, companies that we see that we really like what they're doing. We like their strains. We like their philosophy. We like their drive or their style or whatever, and really helping trying, trying at least to, bring them up into the forefront of the scene and help promote them and use our um, marketing. And I mean, Caitlin is running the Instagram. She does a great job as as far as constantly being on that. I feel like uh, she definitely has her finger on the pulse. And so she's constantly doing research and we're, we're keeping our, you know, ear to the ground about what's going on. And we, 
we also ask for feedback. You know, we reach out and see what people want. Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, we'll have custom customers will recommend things and we'll look into them. We'll have other breeders that we know that will like, hey, our, our breeder friend's really cool and we'd love for him to be part of your bank as well. And we check that out. And then, um, uh, I mean, my boyfriend, Jason, is a breeder and so he and he has a lot of knowledge as well. So if there's ever something that pops up that I don't we don't know or ever something that he's actually like constantly talking about, I usually, <laughs> usually get, we'll get that too. Um, so it's, it's a mix of things, but, but being immersed in it is definitely the, the best way to actually thoughtfully curate because it is um, a constant, very high turnover rate. And also that being said, as far, as far as being immersed in it, we, we do a lot of like on the road shows. And so that like helps. we do like these kind of pop-up tour seed road show thing. Um, and so we get to meet a lot of breeder, local breeders in the areas that we're in that mm-hmm. you might not necessarily run into or pay attention to if you weren't there in person and they come up and introduce themselves and then you get a chance to kind of have that insight to things as well. That's awesome. And what about the name uh, Embra? Where does that come from? Um, well, Embra, it means female in Spanish. And so it was kind of like this all-inclusive, all like play on, you know, the fact that it's the female plant and it's the two of us running it. And just I, just the sound of the word, I think is cool. But it was kind of like a double a double meaning there. <laughs> and, uh, and who are some of the up-and-coming uh, <laughs> breeders that people might not have heard of that you guys carry um, some of these more like localized, um, uh, you know, seed producers? Well, I have to say um, funky frog seeds is someone that I don't, uh, I hadn't heard of them and they didn't seem to have like a, all that big hype going on, but uh, we picked up their, their line. It's, there's only like four or five strains and, We've already reordered one of them multiple times, so uh, they're doing really well. We just picked up uh, Driftwood Genetics uh, from uh, California. Ziploc's been doing, Ziploc's right, really, been doing good. really well. Ziploc's been doing really well. He's hard to see the package. But. Hawaii. Yeah. Um, we have the, the Bong Stash line, which is a lot of the Magnum Opus work that he's done. That's exclusive to mm, our That's an exclusive. Thing. Yeah, we're the only ones that have that. Um, Autoflower actually has gotten really big. So, and regular autoflower. So there's a breeder called yes. Mandalorian uh, Genetics, and we've, I mean, we reordered from him. Sell out times. instantly when we get his regular uh, autoflower season. So that's been wow. surprising and awesome. Yeah. All right, and some of the more well-known ones I see, um, you know, Cali Connection. You mentioned. Um, uh, DNA and Crockett, mm-hmm. uh, Mamiko, Humboldt Seed Company, Kona Gold. You guys really have a wide variety, Green Bodhi, um, Exotic Genetics, um, really like an incredible variety of established and up and coming. And I think that's really interesting. And also, you guys just recently launched a new website, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. We're <laughs> Finally. excited. It was a long time in the making and went through a lot of Jumped through a lot of hoops and hurdles and challenges to get there, but we went from like running. like forty seven clicks of a process to like <laughs> two, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely helped us out a lot and freed up a lot of our time because we were we we're basically doing everything, and the busier you know, the more business we did, the busier we got, and this really freed up some time um, to be able to focus on other projects that we've been wanting to do right in the company you know, versus just trying to keep up with the daily orders and stuff like that. And we wanted a website too, that was, that you wanted to spend time looking at. I know a lot of times when you go to um, websites that are in the same kind of industry, they can get really like a glot, like, busy everything's going on all on the front page and it's hard to pay attention and and I know a lot of websites too aren't necessarily built to work with a filter the way that you want to filter seeds like through breeder or uh, male or feminized or yield or flowering times and sort of like 
we don't know anything about websites. So we had to teach the website person about seeds and they had to teach us about the website. And then we had to make it clean and concise. And (laughs) trying to design it from, you know, being a a shopper of seeds, Mm -hmm. um, what would be the kind of information that we'd be looking for and just making it at least try to make it as, as easy and enjoyable an experience as possible. Totally. That's awesome. And you also mentioned, um, uh, I should mention just that the the website is Hembra Genetics, H-E-M-B-R-A Genetics. Uh, you also mentioned the the Instagram page, which, which uh, is amazing as well. And that's Hembra Genetics Collection, right? Mm-hmm. That's great. And um, so, yeah, um, it's interesting because you guys have the benefit of having worked in, you know, the hydroponic sort of supply, you know, equipment business and also now in the, you know, genetics and seed business. And I think you have a very unique perspective uh, coming out of, you know, both of those um, knowledge pools. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, what, what would you say to people who are out there, you know, looking to grow um, some plants, but not really sure at all what they want? um, to grow, like, you know, if they come to your site, you know, what's a great way for them to, to find what they, what they want? Well, I would say first, like whenever people come to us asking for recommendations, um, you know, first I kind of break it down to them by, well, you know, what kind of experience do you have? Um, generally speaking, if it's someone that's never grown before, um, I'd probably recommend going with feminized unless they just kind of want to experiment with sexing plants and stuff like that. But at least, you know, going with feminized, you know, you're going to you know what you're, what you're going to get, but also breaking it down into like, what do they like? You know, like, do you like fruity strains? Do you like gassy strains? Do you like indicas or sativas? You know, like trying to narrow it down as much as possible. First. We get this, we get this question a lot because, like we said, we travel and we spend a lot of time in markets that are brand new. So we've spent a lot of time in Oklahoma. We've spent a lot of time in Missouri. Um, and so I always tell people flat off, <clears throat> anything you probably, like if you're new, anything you really want to smoke, you probably don't want to grow. So no OG cookie, sour, or chem. And that's a lot of everything. So <laughs> yeah. usually I try to stick with some sort of like blueberry strain for someone who's new because, or something that's mold and mildew resistant. A big good question is, are we indoors? Are we outdoors? That'll help yeah, cut through yeah. a lot of that stuff. Cause you know, outdoor in Oklahoma is completely different than, you know, outdoor in Humboldt. Well, I mean, one that we recommend all the time for new, for beginning beginner growers is blueberry muffin from Humboldt, uh, from Humboldt Company. Seed Company. Mm-hmm. So it's a mm-hmm. fat it's mold and mildew resistant it's a good producer it's we a have a we have another one profile. uh by uh, uh bangladesh that's called mo it's called mob deep and that's a mother of berries uh magnum opus cross uh it's regular but it's done in like seven weeks the same thing with the blueberry muffins it's a 45 day they're both mold and mildew resistant short stout you know in case you're outside so both turn mm, nice. fun to grow. Right. And That's forgiving. Important. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you mentioned travel and you mentioned Oklahoma. Uh, I'd like to hear you guys' take on Oklahoma and what's going on down there because, you know, I was there maybe about a year ago uh, with high times, but uh, uh, things have changed. And uh, I just wanted to hear about the, the travel. Yeah, we I love, love Oklahoma. We, love Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> we always have such a good time there, and everyone's so nice, and everyone's so eager because it was it was a place that was closed for such a long time. That's I used to have to go there yearly because um, Smartpots is based out of Oklahoma, so I'd go there every year for every year for the um, the annual company meeting, and so that was in the time when the state was completely closed, like you know. It, a joint in your jail um, type of thing. So it's so crazy because it's so drastically flip flopped. It used to be so close to now it's so open and it's like the wild West. It's completely open. It's one of the most lenient States out there right now, which is really awesome. I'm super stoked for them and just really happy to see everybody so excited and really diving into the, the openness of it all. Mm -hmm. And so you also get to, you know, we meet like Caitlin mentioned a lot of new growers uh, just getting into it. So 
um, people coming to us for advice and for, for growing tips for all kinds of help in general, like the whole process along the way. And we also get to handpick a lot of the genetics. People will basically let us, they'll give us kind of like a few parameters mm-hmm. and we'll get to basically shop for them. And that's really fun. So we get to kind of help design at least part of their grow. Um, but yeah, Oklahoma is really a really unique place right now because of that whole shift and how drastically it changed. And they're doing everything. They're doing mm-hmm. not, you know, one farm just isn't going to do indoor or outdoor. They're doing both. And they're doing bumper crops of auto flower. They love and they're flower. doing, and they're vertically integrated, every single one of them. So then they're all doing concentrates. They're all, you know what I mean? They're all doing edibles. Yeah. Ten, they all have their own dispensaries. I mean, a liquor license is $1,500 in Oklahoma. I mean, it's <laughs> well, just to get your cultivation amazing. license, I think it's what only 2,500 bucks yeah. or something. And pretty sure there's, I want to say no plant count. I'm not sure, but I know it's just very, um, EOMMA very is very active and they seem to be really supportive of the entire process. I haven't really heard too much complaining from anybody in Oklahoma. I've seen a, a few of our friends, our good friends, uh, now that we've been there so much, um, I've seen them start without a, a facility and then move into their facility and and then grow through into the facility and then start winning awards. And it's just, uh, and they're still happy and they're not complaining. And it's, <laughs> that's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And I know, uh, Helene, you're doing a lot of international traveling as well. Um, what do you find on, on your travels as far as, uh, you know, what people are smoking in, in South America or all around the world? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so definitely do a lot of international travel. Um, last year I spent most, I spent eight months in South America. So I was uh, six months in Peru um, and then a little bit of time in Ecuador and then a couple months in Colombia. Um, and well, I mean, I definitely wouldn't, compare the cannabis to like what you have in North America. But um, especially in Colombia, um, I see like progress happening. Um, I've actually sent some seeds down to, I just sent some down to Peru, second batch down Mm -hmm. to Peru recently. And they've been starting them up there outdoor and working with indigenous communities with seeds that we've sent down from Embra. Mm -hmm. So we actually kind of have like a little collaboration going on um, with the group in Peru right now called Canab Lab. Um, So uh, that's going on. But then in Colombia, I actually saw some really, really amazing facilities, like state of the art, beautiful grows, um, indoor mainly. Um, but I definitely also met up with people that were in the process of building greenhouses and outdoor grows because they have legalized to a certain extent cultivation in Colombia. And, um, I believe like the importation and exportation of cannabis products from different countries. Um, so we're hoping to start working with, um, some people that I met and have kept in touch with from down in Colombia. Um, and then obviously Europe is its own beast and is well advanced. Um, but yeah, in South America, it was really cool to see. And it was really exciting to see the movement down there and how much and how quickly it's happening. So mm-hmm. I think that that is definitely um, an important and it's going to be increasing, increasingly an important market in, in the industry. Awesome. Awesome. Um, now, what are some of the biggest mistakes you guys uh, see cultivators make Um out in the world in your travels or, or visiting, you know, grows? Um, I'd say one of them is just, you know, when you go from say like a little home grow or something like that and you get pretty comfortable with it and then you try to scale up and you go too big, too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think that you're going to replicate what you did in your four lighter in, in a warehouse, you know, in a warehouse yeah. in like a commercial setting. So I would say taking it step by step and scaling up slowly is if you can, you know, if you have the time and um, the means to do so, I'd say it would be better than just going all in without really feeling it out and learning it as you go. Um, because there's so many problems that could come up and then you're up against a lot more risk and loss when you're at such a, a big jump there. I think, um, uh, I think another thing that we see quite often too, is that it's not the plants, it's the people. 
So a lot of the problems are going to be personality rubs or control issues or or trying to decide one path versus another path or communication errors. People don't talk about what they didn't do or what they did do. And so taking notes, taking like notes, all yeah, the time. like measuring your PPM and your EC, like, I, you know, or just being thorough, sticking with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like blaming it on the nutrients, blaming it on the lights, blaming, blaming it on, on the genetics uh, rather than yeah. taking responsibility. And what we always say is the be- the best craftsmen always blame their tools. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys, uh, Helene and Caitlin, for coming on the show. Please um, give people um, the website and the Instagram name as well. And also, you know, if people have uh, are breeders and want to contact you guys, um, let them know how they can get, you know, involved in this uh, boutique collection of genetics that you guys are curating. It's amazing. Yes, thank you. So, um, yeah, you can go to our website, which is embragenetics.com. Uh, you can go to our Instagram, which is at embragenetics.collection. Uh, and then if there's a breeder out there that wants to get a hold of us, um, email. they can just email us, which is embryogenetics at Gmail. And uh, like we said, we travel and we do have a big uh, tour coming up. So if you want to come out and see us, our event dates are on our website. Yep. There's the events tab and I'll tell you all yeah. the dates, all the places where we're going to be. And we'd love to meet some people in person. Talk shop. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, really loving the new website and um, the entire collection that you guys curate and just your energy and your uh, ability to source incredible genetics from well-known companies. And like you guys said, up and coming companies that are going to be making noise in the future. So thank you so much, uh, Helene and Caitlin from Embra Genetics. Hey, all right. Welcome back. And I believe we are in the cultivation segment of the show, correct? Yes, it's cultivation time. Are you ready? It, I am. And well, I believe it's been a fortnight. Yeah, it's that special time. It has been a fortnight, which of course means strain of the fortnight. <laughs> Maybe a Dracula voice is good. Strain of the fortnight. I yeah. like it, but how does that connect to the subject? I don't know. It's just fun. <laughs> Well, what is your strain of the fortnight? The strain this uh, fortnight is Goji OG. This is a OG uh, Kush cross. Uh, it's from Bodhi Seeds, which is an incredible seed bank. If you guys aren't familiar, uh, check out Bodhi, B-O-D-H-I, Seeds. Uh, you can find them at, uh, I believe, Hetty Gardens uh, in Kalama, in Kanlama, and Seed Vault of CA1. Um, got a shout out Caesar, uh, TH Caesar for, uh, helping out with this write up as well. Um, Bodhi, this Goji OG is just incredible. The lineage is, uh, Nepali OG crossed with Afgu and Blockhead. So, uh, the, you know, the female is Afgu crossed with Blockhead and the male pollen came from Nepali OG. Um, flowering time is eight to 10 weeks or so, you know, around the nine week, uh, level. Um, this Goji OG actually won, uh, a a few different contests, uh, 2014, uh, SoCal cup non-solvent hash, uh, which is an incredible category. Um, third place, uh, us hash in the Seattle cup of 2013 as well. Um, so obviously this makes an incredible hash. Um, Goji OG isn't like most of the other OGs that are currently on the market. There's a lot of OG out there, um, that, that are all quite similar, very much a fuel kind of thing. This has a very different distinct taste and scent, uh, which is more reminiscent of, uh, white wine, uh, or white grapes, even before they're made into wine. Um, there's hints of tart berries, uh, a bit of that earthy spice that you get from a lot of OG and then um, there's a snow lotus dominant pheno, uh, which is that Afku blockhead um, cross, with some big chunky OG esque tastes and scents, uh, and the Nepali OG dominant phenos. So um, the earthy spice and the tart berries comes from that uh, Afku and blockhead dominant pheno, 
um, which they call Snow Lotus. And the uh, the real chunky OG-esque tastes and scents uh, are in the more Nepali OG-dominant finos, um, you know, based on the different parentage. Uh, but you get a really good, decent-sized yield, um, incredible aroma and flavor. And uh, if you're looking for clone-only versions, keep your eyes out for Pine Sol or Purple Goji phenotypes. Um, those are also very popular out there. Uh, so, yeah, Bodhi Seeds, Goji, G-O-J-I, Goji OG. The Goji OG. Fun to say. Yeah. yeah, it has that going forward as well. So excellent strain of the Fortnite. Um, and, uh, you know, our listeners know that at this point in the show, uh, you take on a grow topic to give our uh, our listeners a little bit more information that could help their grow. So what would you like to talk about this week? Yeah, uh, this week I'd like to talk about uh, seven tips for growing eco-friendly weed. This is like, uh, you know, sustainability and just ways to have a, a lower carbon footprint when you're growing. Because if you're growing indoors under lights with air conditioning and all of that, um, the costs are, are up there, the carbon footprint's up there. Um, so I would basically like to see, um, you know, as the prices are dropping, obviously more and more people are are growing, so the prices are dropping. So even if, you know, you're not really that interested in, in helping the environment, it's going to cost you less as well. So, um, you know, just different ideas on how to be a little bit more sustainable all will help us all you know, to get to a place where we're using a little bit less energy and that's a good thing. Um, so the first tip is to grow outdoors or in a greenhouse. Uh, basically, you know, indoor growing, uh, requires a ton of, uh, of electricity, uh, HVAC systems, lighting systems, all that stuff. Meanwhile, sunshine's free and, uh, most places it's pretty abundant, you know, and, the thing is you can always, especially in a greenhouse, you can supplement uh, with supplemental lighting. You can have uh, light deprivation. You get basically get the best of both worlds. And, you know, the as I mentioned, I'm sure many times on the podcast, uh, the sun is that great big grow light in the sky. You don't have to go to a hydro shop and buy a light and a ballast and a reflector. You've got it all right above your head. So... Um, and you know, in a greenhouse, you also have the best of both worlds. You have environmental control of indoor growing, um, without, you know, the effects of outdoor, like wind and rain and dust and pests and things like that. So, uh, you know, that's one way to, you know, grow outdoors or in a greenhouse is a great way to be more sustainable. Um, also going organic, uh, you know, basically ditching synthetic nutrients, uh, is great because a lot of the, you know, the synthetic nutrients, when, once you pour those down a drain or wherever it is that they're going, they don't go away. You know, they basically stay, you know, in our system. Uh, and uh, on a large scale, you can see places like the Salton Sea in California, where massive runoff from these big factory farms has basically just killed a whole recreational area, a lake that used to be beautiful and, and a, a fishing paradise. Uh, has basically turned into a completely dead zone. And, you know, on a much smaller scale, you have those everywhere where you dump those synthetic nutrients. So I think avoiding synthetic bottled newts eventually is a very good idea. Consider going veganic, you know, or at least, you know, uh, not using some of those byproducts of the meat industry, uh, like bone meal and blood meal and liquid fish. Uh, there's always alternatives like liquid seaweed, for instance, uh, or dried seaweed, or uh, compost teas and things, and those will end up growing you better ca quality cannabis. Um, another great thing to do is save water. Uh, in, you know, if you're growing outdoors or in a greenhouse, use mulch. Um, you know, you can use hay, whatever it might be. Uh, that'll help uh, reduce water waste due to evaporation. Uh, it'll allow you to water less frequently, so that saves water as well. Um, and, you know, if you're using a drip emitter system, bury those uh, those tubes a few inches below soil level, and you'll end up uh, saving water in that way as well because they won't be so close to the surface that you'll have a lot of evaporation. And another thing is rainwater collection. I know a lot of people talk about, oh, it's illegal to collect rainwater. No cop is going to come to your house and bust you for this. So... 
Uh, collecting rainwater is great. Just be aware that, you know, rainwater can be slightly acidic or even highly acidic. So uh, act accordingly based on, you know, your local aquifer and, and, and how that rain tests on a pH uh, scale. But, you know, those are great ways. Saving water is important. Um, switching your growing medium. Uh, Peat-based soilless mixes. You know, the peat bogs are mined at an alarming rate. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of peat bogs out there. Canada and Russia and China are filled with them. But uh, but they are, you know, a diminishing product. So uh, cocoa is a great. And if you can mix peat-based soilless mixes with cocoa, you kind of get the best of both worlds there, too, as far as water absorption and re- retention and oxygen to the roots. Uh, rock wool, I don't like. It's dangerous. It's irritating. It takes centuries to decompose, and it's just not environmentally friendly or even human friendly as far as, you know, it has to be wet for you to even work with it. Otherwise, it's like um, the insulation in your wall. It's it, it, it's an irritant to your lungs, and it's very dangerous. Um, healthy and safe alternative to all of these, cocoa coir. It's made from renewable husks of coconuts. Uh, it's a byproduct of the coconut industry. It's inert. It retains water, allows oxygen to reach the root zone. So I like a combination of cocoa and uh, and peat, like uh, peat-based mix, like ProMix. Um, and it, in fact, ProMix makes a peat and cocoa mix that's really ideal um, with the chunks of, of, of cocoa. Um, number five, I would say, utilize predators instead of pesticides. Uh, you know, there's lots of beneficial insects out there. There's predatory nematodes. For every vegetarian bug that plagues your plants, um, there's a carnivore that would just love to eat it. So once you've diagnosed, uh, you know, whatever pest you've got, you can place an order through the mail for a living solution to that problem. Uh, you just release those pests or those nematodes or whatever they are. You sit back and they attack and they do the work for you. Uh, and hopefully then, you know, they scram or beat it, you know, and, and go somewhere else. But ideally, you know, that way you avoid using potentially harmful pesticides. You know, people don't even love neem oil anymore at this point because it leaves a odor and a, a fragrance there. Number six is uh, brewing compost tea. Uh, comp- compost tea is amazing. And if you oxygenate it for 24 hours overnight, it becomes just a very uh, nice product that you can you know use as a foliar feed uh, as a soil drench um you know most people i mean if you're not in the city like we are you should be composting your yard waste and your food scraps anyway uh if you aren't you know start a compost pile or a bin or something where you can just use that stuff up uh eventually it just turns into an incredibly rich uh soil amendment that you can mix into your soil or make tea out of uh if you're going to make tea out of it you want to steep it just like compost tea. So use an old uh, stocking or a tea towel or something. Um, let it steep in a five-gallon bucket or a larger container if you have uh, the need for much more. Um, then use a air pump uh, and air stones. You can get these at an aquarium supply shop uh, and just oxygenate that water uh, or that tea for 24 hours. That'll fully activate all the beneficial bacteria and microbes and and multiply them from millions into billions. Uh, And that mild nutrient will feed your plants uh, and also protect them from pests and disease. So that's great uh, and a great way to be more sustainable. Uh, The seventh and final way is to grow companion plants. Uh, Cannabis loves uh, certain companion plants. Uh, You can certainly use some as a... uh, um, uh, Uh, cover crop you know in between when you're growing so clover and beans those plants can really help uh, fix nitrogen and act as sort of a canary in the coal mine which will attract bugs like i've seen people use beans bean plants uh, to attract mites to their bean plants uh, before they infest their cannabis plants and that way you know you can get rid of those bean plants and start you know working on beating back that infestation before the, the, the bugs have switched from the beans to your cannabis plants. Um, there's also plants that repel uh, those, you know, nuisance bugs that you can get. So marigolds, uh, chili peppers, um, basil and rosemary really help keep slugs away. Um, so companion planting is really important. And that's my uh, seven tips for growing more eco-friendly 
cannabis. All right. Excellent. Uh, thank you for those seven tips for sustainability. Uh, we hope that helps those listeners who are uh, looking to grow great cannabis while also keeping their garden uh, eco-friendly. So thank you for that. Um, it's now time for my favorite part of the show, where uh, Dan answers listener grow questions. And if you have a question that you would like answered on this show, uh, please do get a hold of us. The uh, email is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, you could also get us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and don't forget about Patreon and even YouTube. So uh, what do you say we get into some questions? Let's do it. Uh, let's start off with Cannabiforman, who I guess uh, we still haven't figured out exactly how to pronounce, but uh, he writes, hello, Dan and Mike. A uh, quick question about reservoir temperature. I listened to I listened to Freeweed eighty one. Uh, the cultivation segment had twenty one hydro tips, and uh, you mentioned that anything over seventy degrees is risking root rot. I'm currently holding at seventy three to seventy four degrees during an eighteen hours a day cycle in my BC Northern Lights roommate reservoir. Will I be okay? Or would an aquarium chiller be required for those four extra degrees? Um, I ask because space is limited, and the chillers I've found aren't small or cheap. Uh, thanks again to the best cannabis podcast in the world. What would you say to uh, to this listener? Uh, you know, 73 to 74 degrees is kind of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say you're playing with fire at that point. Um you know, the ideal temperature, to be honest, is like 65 to 68. So you are uh, over, you know, what's best, which is certainly under 70. Uh, but 73, 74, uh, it's not awful. Uh, once you start climbing up over 75 and 80 is when you're really risking a ton of root rot. I, I would, if you can find a cheap way to chill that water... Um, and you can afford it, I think that would be great. I mean, some people will even just freeze, you know, uh, three liter or, or two liter bottles of uh, empty bottles. Obviously, you empty out the soda, put in some water, and then freeze those, uh, those plastic bottles in your freezer. And you can just put that into your reservoir. Um, the problem is that's very temporary. I mean, that's going to reduce the temperature for, you know, a few hours uh, at a time. Um, so it's, it's a cheap, but also very, uh, labor intensive kind of way to chill. Um, but again, if it's really just those four degrees, you're, you're, you're not in super duper danger, but if you see uh, root rot or any kind of mold developing on your roots, um, uh, you certainly want to bring that temperature down. Uh, I don't think you're in any kind of imminent danger at 73 to 74 degrees, uh, and hopefully that comes down also once you go to your 12-hour on and 12-hour off cycle. So I would basically say, you know, try your best to keep it well below 75 if you can. Um, but if the cost of a chiller is way too much, then uh, then maybe try the, the, the frozen bottle method. Maybe there's an aquarium chiller that can that, that you can find that's a little cheaper than what you've seen and that can just drop you know just let's say three or four degrees um because you're not looking for a huge you know drop in temperature um and that way you can also monitor it so you know whether your lights are on or whether they're off you'll know uh what that temperature is at all times but again the last thing you want is root rot you don't want your plants dying because um the roots are getting too warm one other thing you can think about is the pump that uh, is inside your reservoir. If you can find a way to have that pump be outside the reservoir, um, which in some cases can be done, um, that'll that'll uh, reduce the heat in that reservoir as well. Um, and any kind of air stones or, or, or pumps like that, they, those also can increase heat. So um, think about ways you can just drop a couple of degrees and you'll be a lot safer. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, we hope that helps you out there. And uh, let's move on to Joey, who writes, uh, Hey, Danny and Mike, I listen every week from the southern Oregon coast, and I truly appreciate what you guys do with the podcast. Uh, with that being said, I'm hoping to get a little bit of help with curing 
uh, seeing as we're about four to six weeks away from my outdoor harvest over here. Uh, I've been growing for the last six seasons, and this will be my seventh. I'm growing cutthroat kush, and I've uh, become very satisfied with my plants and buds. Every year, I've tried drying and curing a little different, only changing one major or two minor variables each harvest. Uh, but no matter what, I always seem to end up with a product that smells like hay. Uh, at least until it goes through the grinder and gets smoked. Um, can I get some tips or tricks on how to uh, combat that? Like info about drying times, burping periods, fan exposure, etc. And uh, just one last thing, I noticed that most of the cultivation topics on the show are geared towards indoor and tent grows. Can you guys mix in some outdoor topics and content? Other than that, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, forever a GBY listener. So uh, what would you say to Joey? Hmm. Well, first off, thanks, Joey, for your support. Mm-hmm. Um, a product that smells like hay uh, until it goes through the grinder or gets smoked. I mean, in a way, if it goes through the grinder and gets smoked and it smells and tastes great, that's not a huge issue. But uh, there are ways to make sure that your plant smells better. And I think um, you touched on it uh, as far as drying time. Uh, you know, you want at least seven to ten days. I would say two weeks is ideal for the hang dry you know if you're drying plants whole plants and you're hanging them you want that to be at least i would say 10 days um you want that to be done in a very cool room right so 60 65 degrees no higher than 70 degrees um certainly nothing hot no lights in the room uh you want to circulate the air in the room but without like you said, fan exposure, you don't want the fan to be blowing right onto your plants. Um, that will certainly give you that hay thing because they'll dry too quickly. Um, then once you know those plants are dried, in, in, in the way you can slow that time down is by having a humidifier in the room. Now, keep in mind, there's a lot of humidity in the air in a drying room is already. So unless you live in a place where uh, humidity is a problem, you know, high humidity, you may not need to add a humidifier to slow that time down. But if you're in a place like Colorado where it's very dry, um, then you may, you may, you may need to add a humidifier to the room just to slow that time down and get it to 10 to 14 days or so of hang drying. Once the plant is hang dried and you can, you know, snap the, the, you know, uh, branches without them bending so much, uh, that's when you put them into the jars to cure as far as burping period, I would say, you know, start off with, you know, two times or so a day, depending on how moist uh, the buds are when you put them in the jars and reduce that to maybe once a day. Um, once you're at your perfect level, just keep them in a, a cool, dark place in a sealed jar. Uh, and that smell, you know, the terpene profiles, all that should be well intact. Um, yeah, we'd love to bring in more outdoor uh you know, content. I just feel like so many people grow indoors and in tents and, and greenhouses and stuff that it's, it's somewhat rare now to see people growing outside, but, um, that's, you know, that's changing as well. I think a lot of people are, are doing a lot more outdoor because they have their like six plants or 10 plants that they're allowed to do, uh, in full sun, which is an, you know, an amazing way to grow cannabis. So we'll certainly, uh, mix in more outdoor topics for you guys, uh, for plants that are just grown in the great outdoors under sunshine, which I love personally. Yeah, absolutely. We will uh, we will do that. Thank you for the suggestion and also for the question, Joey. We hope that helps you out there. So let's move on. Uh, we have time for one more here. Uh, so let's do Jamie, who wrote us last week. So uh, Jamie writes, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for answering my question regarding yields last episode. It was what I was hoping to hear. Uh, my question this week is about defoliation. I have four autoflowers growing, and I was wondering if I should defoliate the leaves lower on the plant. I'm getting mixed results online, and I don't want to hinder growth if I should just leave them be. As always, you guys are the best. Cheerio! And that's right, Jamie. Jamie is uh, from England, and uh, if you listened to the show last week, Dan and I had a couple of problems with our conversions for some of the things that were uh, discussed. So Jamie included a helpful little um, 
conversion chart here. Uh, 80 centimeters by 80 centimeters is two and a half feet by two and a half feet, which I think I got right. <laughs> the- I mean, I thought 80 centimeters was like, you know, half an inch or something. Yeah. Like, I didn't understand the size of the tent. I thought maybe it was like a, a uh, you know, a replica of a tent, you know, like a... Like Stonehenge and uh, Spinal Tap? Is <laughs> exactly. that what you're thinking of? Exactly. A model of the tent or something. Because as soon as I hear centimeters, I think like, well, that's got to be tiny. Yeah. And then my, <laughs> my brain goes all fuzzy. But there's a couple of helpful little uh, conversions. And my favorite is the last one where Jamie writes that uh, 57 grams in an English muffin. <laughs> so. Yes. And 224 ounces in a stone. Oh, good. Good to know. I guess I must be a few stone. <laughs> Several, yeah. And then but, uh, five gallons is 18.92706 liters. So thank goodness that we have, have that there. Uh, but as for the question um, for defoliation, what, what would you say to that? Right. I would say, you know, because autoflowers have such a short uh, life, basically, you know, it's like you plant a seed, you walk away, 75 to 90 days later, you're harvesting. I don't really think there's time to defoliate or do any kind of pruning or pinching or anything with autos. I just think, you know, because they flower uh, at a certain height, you know, at a certain age, they just immediately start flowering. If you're having issues, you know, with, you know, mold or uh, powdery mildew and you want to have air flowing through the underneath canopy, um, it might make sense to take off a few of the lower leaves and, and, and some of the branches, but I, I really honestly with autos, um, the, the, the great part about autos is that they take so little time to grow. And, uh, I think anything you take off of them is going to ultimately result in, uh, in a lower yield. So I would say just leave the auto, uh, plants alone, let those leaves be factories, um, you know, producing flowers, and uh, and I wouldn't defoliate auto flowering plants unless they're like auto hazes that have a longer life that or like I said, unless you need, um, you know, airflow underneath the canopy, which I would imagine you probably don't because autos don't really take up a ton of space either. All right. Very good. Uh, thank you, Jamie. We hope that helps you out. We also really appreciate the uh, the conversions that you included. Um, thanks to everyone who wrote in. If you have a question that you would like answered on the show, uh, please write us. Uh, the best way is email. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, so what do you say we take a little break and then come back and wrap this up? Let's do it. All right. I believe we have reached the portion of the program where we wrap it all up. Yeah, man. Your company here. Get at us, rolling paper companies. Who wants to sponsor the wrap? That's right. We need a we need a sponsor here. This would be great. Any rolling paper companies. I'm looking at you. Curved papers, raw papers, uh, elements. Whoever's out there. Zigzag. Zigzag. Bamboo. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, this is the wrap. I'd like to thank Excelsior Extracts, of course, uh, for their amazing pain rub. And shout out to both of them. Um, Shout out to DJ Jacques and Winstrong, uh, also Vapor.com. Remember, you can use code GBY at Vapor.com for 15% off everything at the store. Um, definitely want to uh, thank Sweet Leaf Nutrients as well. You can use the code uh, Danko15 for 15% off of everything there at S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. Um, thank you to the amazing, amazing women of Hembra Genetics uh, for the awesome interview. Um, thanks to you guys. Thanks to all the Patreon supporters, the YouTube subscribers, the tweeters, the Instagrammers, the TikTokers. <laughs> you, you, have, you actually have some uh, stuff to bring up for our Patreon supporters, right? Yeah. Well, I will be giving away a free magical butter machine shipped to your home if you sign up on Patreon before we get to 42 people. Uh, we're going to pick one out randomly, do some type of a contest for them, and uh, a free magical butter machine will be given out. Uh, we've also got all kinds of perks on there. You get a free copy of my book signed and delivered to your home if you uh, sign up at the 25 or the $42 level, I believe. 
and then we just ordered a bunch of stickers for you guys. So all the people who are expecting stickers uh, are going to get their stickers. Um, hopefully we'll send a, a few extras for you guys and the nice notes from uh, from myself. And yeah, very exciting to be there on Patreon and have uh, have our fans support us. Those stickers look good too. They got the new logo. They're they're going to be nice. For sure, for sure. And uh, yeah, what a show. Uh, very exciting. Episode number 23. Really glad you guys have been sticking around with us, hopefully learning uh, how to grow bud yourself, how to grow high quality bud yourself, uh, how to grow medicinal, inspirational, amazing cannabis yourself. And yeah, that's that's how it is. Uh, welcome to October, or as we say, Croptober. Uh, everybody's harvesting all their uh, outdoor and greenhouse this month. So uh, shout out to all you guys out there and gals that are uh, in trim jail, just trimming away for hours and hours and hours. Uh, I've been in there, done that, and uh, commiserate with you. You're doing uh, great work. You're doing. You should uh, if you if you start getting sore, use that Excelsior Extracts uh, pain rub. That would probably right. help. That's right. Definitely. That will help out with your carpal tunnel, uh, with those fingers, everything. Uh, yeah, just keep on trimming, keep on harvesting, um, dry those plants out, get them cured, and uh, let's You're smoke. Doing God's work. Yes. Thank you for growing, bud, yourself. Thanks a lot. Episode 23. Let's wrap it up and put it in the books.